0: Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King, I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald.
1: I'm getting into this quest bar.
0: Yeah, I, I tried to slow down the intro just long enough to give you time to finish chewing, but I kind of ran out of stuff to say.
1: I'm getting it's it's too good. I can't slow down.
0: Yeah, hey, uh, well, hey, we're always looking for sponsors. So if you're whoever makes quest bars, Monsanto, I assume, Probably. get at us. Also joining us, the director of mission expressions, Jed Brewer. Greetings, uh, once again, as we are doing a double record, not with us due to profound technical difficulties, for which I'm declaring some kind of holy war against Tim Cook until he fixes. One uh, of the pastors of Crash Community Church, Lee Younger, we soldier on bravely once again in his stead. And as we get into the soldiering on, I'm forced to declare an emergency. Wow. And this is a brainstorming emergency. It's a, it's an opportunity emergency. It's a, holy crap, is this the best you people can come up with emergency? I, uh, I, I turned to a link sent to me by a friend of the show, a friend of myself, one, uh, William Reaser, who's a, uh, regional director. For Young Life College and University. So his obviously a big part of his job is figuring out, you know, how to meet the spiritual needs of young people and that particular college age demographic, what it is to to, what unique challenges they're going through and how I might do that. So he he occasionally looks for best practices on that. And that leads me to an article he sent me from Christianity Christianity Today. Oh, I've heard of them. Indeed, haven't we all? The title Welcome to Church. Want to take a selfie? No, with photo booths for special occasions, Instagram-friendly com- congregations navigate the tension between sharing faith and showing off. And uh, so we looked at you know, there's there's people leaving the church. There's right. young people who are not going to church. Yes, and anywhere near the numbers of used to. And we looked at people, and they said, "What might need to be done about that?" And uh, apparently, all the mega churches And, uh, you know, your branding consultants and all that in the world looked at that and said, what if you had a little Mother's Day photo booth? (laughs) And then you take that picture and you tag it. As I I put it to someone at the time I was reading this article, it's like one of those wedding hashtags, but it never ends. (laughs) Dude.
1: You know what? I think it's great. Dude? Really? I think it's fantastic. A plot twist. Just, it's great. Glenn, are you on Instagram? I didn't even know what Instagram is, but...
0: It's better than slowstagram.
1: Uh, <laughs> if you can get laser beams in the background. Sure. Is, in, in these churches, I understand that's already happening.
2: You're talking laser photo booth, and I like it.
1: Get that fog machine cooked up. Yeah. That's going to set the mood. Okay. And then, uh, y- you know, uh, we we did cover earlier the pastor who is on some form of Peter Pan... Uh, uh, trapeze really. right, yes. right. He's
2: being floated down from the rafters. Yeah, for a uh, second there, I
0: thought you meant the pastor wearing tights, and I was very concerned. Give it
1: time. No, you know, I think we could do sort of a, a you know, a video of just you hovering <laughs> over the church with laser beams and fog. These are actual things. I think they're great. I think let's do that. But now, um. While we have all that going on, I have a suggestion. Uh, You guys might think it's crazy. If you think it's crazy, you just send it right back to me. Okay. What if we had like a building? Yeah. I like that part. I know you Christians do with your buildings. What if we had just a place? Maybe this is a better phrase, a better way of putting it. A campus? Uh, No. no. (laughs) A multi-site campus? Ah, Just a place. It could be any sort of place. And uh people you mean come.
2: A rented middle school. Now I'm sad.
1: Here's <laughs> it, what it is. People come and they have spiritual needs. Right. You're and losing then, me. And then you meet those spiritual needs. I'm sorry, I fell asleep. Did did I miss something? Did something yeah, happen? That's that's right. You you feed you feed the sheep. Um it's just specially dedicated just for that. It's like a it's it's just like a crazy idea. We're like that's that's the only thing going on, man.
0: I feel I feel like the branding just really doesn't do much for me.
3: Yeah.
0: How do we trick them into coming in, though?
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you you tell them this is a place where your spiritual needs are met, and you come in, and
0: that's a terrible trick. Yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> it, it is a terrible trick.
0: You know, you're not grasping the concept of this at all. <laughs> no,
1: I'm not. It, it, uh, yeah. Here's what I'm saying. Come on, people. Take in the photo booth picture at church.
2: I think I can link these two together. Okay. Oh. Multiple photo booths that are linked to what your spiritual need is. All right. Okay. So, for example, maybe you're struggling with discouragement. We have a discouragement photo booth that you can pose in front of to tell the whole world that that's your struggle and a hashtag that goes with it.
1: Okay, I'm going to. Here's what I'm going to say is, you know, like when you go to those, uh, like the things where you put your face in it. Yeah. And it's like a mermaid. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you're the mermaid because yeah, yeah. you put your face in it. Theologians. Did you spend a
0: lot of time in the British seaside as a child. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, 100? that
1: that kind of thing. It's just uh, theologians, you know, right. or, you know, just a bow tie and everything, whatever. That, a little
2: CSUS. That's right. See what I did there.
1: Or here's another one. You take the picture and we Photoshop in C.S. Lewis next to you. And it oh, looks looking like, impressed. Yeah, he's listening to your thoughts what? and he's, he's kind of interested in your thing.
2: Dude, you know how, like, this is for real. At big concerts, they started doing like the holographic pro- projection, yep. you know, holographic Tupac and whatnot. Yep. Holographic C.S. Lewis.
1: That's yeah. it. You've just, you've just fixed church. Yeah. But again,
0: we don't have him up there. It's not like we play the recording from one of the. Mere Christianity, BBC broadcast, and it's like, oh, let's see us, Lewis preaching to us. He just sits in the front row and nods sagely at things, pastors. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think these are all fun ideas. I, w- I would like to go back to, to Jed's idea about you know you take a picture at a photo booth that you know it reflects your struggle. You've got your sloth booth, your lust booth, your luxury booth, these all things, and because um, again, we've realized these are all terrible ideas. It's just how well you can you brand them, and I think we call that Sinstagram. Oh, dude. Oh, wow. Yeah, Cause you know, the fake thing they always say is like, we worry, we want to be on social media because we feel like social media is just full of people with, um, you know, they're projecting these images and it's all shiny and happy. So we as a church want to be there so we can project images of how shiny and happy our church is. And cause we felt that's fine. So, but like, if you really want people to be honest, Time for Instagram.
2: Yeah, yeah, I
0: love Sinstagram. Let's get let's get some let's get some uh, confession going in those captions. Yeah. yeah, like you have like for example, you have Mother Mother's Day, and it's like, oh, here's a picture of you know all of us, and it was lovely. And yeah. then you write the description of the screaming fight that happened on the drive to the church. <laughs> right. And before we take the picture,
1: well, no. I mean, we've already got gluttony in there, right? Sure. You're taking the pictures of the food you're eating. Yeah. There you go. That's gluttony right there. It's Instagram.
2: It's I like, mean,
0: what is Instagram if not gluttony and lust? And envy.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah we're well on yeah. our way, people. Yeah. I would really love to see, and I may start one, an Instagram account devoted to sloth. Oh. That would really make me happy.
1: It's like, you know, like you're live tweeting, whatever, but you just like a a live video feed yeah of you not doing anything live streaming a nap <laughs> you could do like a, a what do you call a where where a, a time lapse yes and just like a
2: time lapse of my nap yeah yes <laughs> yeah you you're you're getting it man yeah. you are you are getting the flavor that we are putting out here
1: i i think this idea is a hit cuz basically that's it, Everything's headed this direction. We're just
0: giving a little push.
2: Yeah, we we got seven deadly sins. We what do. else is left that we haven't looked at? Let's see. We've got greed. Boom. Greed. Done.
0: That's pretty much every church
2: Instagram you've ever
0: encountered. So yeah. that was taken care of. And as previously uh, mentioned, uh, the preacher sneakers Instagram account. Yeah. Which is pretty long display there. So we got sloth, greed, gluttony, envy, envy, lust. Oh, wrath!
2: Wrath. Wrath, yeah. Well, wrath is just Facebook. I mean, yeah, that's just pretty you know. much. Or that's Twitter. the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Every
1: day
0: it's a post on Instagram and the wrath tag, and it's just a picture of something someone wrote on Twitter and the phrase, go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you just get in there and really yeah, You, kick them you out. click
1: on the button and it says, uh, you know, Enter the text of your wrath here, yes, you know, and then you type it in and hit submit your wrath, and then it <laughs> goes out.
2: Ah, uh, yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's fantastic. So, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, pride. Ooh. Oh, again, that's one's already pretty well covered, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. The Instagram. Wheel.
1: I think really what we're looking at is. Everything is already headed this direction.
0: Yeah. We just... got to get brought, on the cutting edge, man. We
1: brought it all together. You yeah. You know what I mean? Other people did this, but we did it well.
0: And yeah. what are consulting companies getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars by Christian institutions to do, if not look at what they're already doing and say, you really put a filter on it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Call yeah. it
0: something clever. We took We looked at the dumb thing you're already doing. We put a too cute name on it. I think, guys, I think we just became marketing consultants for churches. Yep.
2: You're Duh. welcome. Fixed it. Well,
0: we fixed it on that basis. I'm just clear. Emergency off. Mm. We don't normally fix them that quick, but I feel like we really got into our groove on that one. Yeah. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting pivot for your friends on the set podcast from trying to fix people's problems to just saying, no, nah, yeah, that seems fine. Call it something catchy and just move on.
2: One money, please. Yep. That's. The way commerce works. Have you tried lasers? Have you tried holographic lasers? Because cats are fascinated by <laughs> lasers.
0: It's a fact.
2: It's a scientific fact. Church attendance is up.
0: It is mainly
2: cats. <laughs> We're gonna herd fifty or seventy-five feral house cats Let me onto this stage. And then people to- might come in because people like cats.
1: There you go. You could pet a cat. And the cat runs around, follows the laser. Boom. They're cat
0: cafes. That's a thing. We're just doing that with church. Cat church. Laser C.S. Lewis. (laughs) We named all the cats Aslan. It gets
2: very, very confusing. Dude, can we get, you know, I mean, we might have to hire animators for this, but uh, uh, we have a character, Cat Staples Lewis. Oh, there you go. C.S. Lewis reimagined
0: as a cat. Okay, that feels like that's something that should have happened already,
2: right? Yeah, I yeah.
1: think uh, that's a, that's a that's a hit, right yeah. there, yeah.
0: I think people will show
2: up for this. That. Yeah, it's a go service, is what that is.
0: I think people would show up for this, and I'm sad now. But <laughs> no, it doesn't make me sad. Is Bridgebox comes out every month directly to your inbox, songs, sermons, Bible studies, the whole lot. Great way for folks who like podcasts to get more content from us and support the work we're doing it up here in Chicago. Only eight dollars a month. missionusa.com. slash Bridge Box. We are moving into the month of June. We're going to look at the concept of how do I know who to trust? As a matter of fact, our first question this week is that Bridge Box question as we end May and head into June here. Get you a little preview of coming attractions. This is the Bridge Box question that Glenn and I preached on at The Bridge and it says, Whether I'm online or watching TV or even going to church, it feels like somebody's always trying to get me to see things their way. Deep down, I know some of it isn't legit, but how do I know who to trust? And Jed, uh, as the director of the Bridgebox program, mm-hmm. uh, why? Let's start out maybe looking at why we thought this was an important thing to cover.
2: Well, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. In a big picture sense, I think that we have reached a point just societally where we're kind of inundated with misinformation, um, and 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 if we wanted to be more precise about it, we're inundated with very selective information. Even when it's not, strictly speaking, wrong, it's kind of been edited and um, uh, reworked to to slant it in a very specific direction to really make it more propaganda than anything else. And we're also at a point, uh, and this is true on the streets, this is true online, this is true in a lot of churches, where a lot of that information is being passed along by people who don't realize that they are passing along bad information. Um, there certainly are people out there who act in bad faith, who are, they are doing a wrong thing, they are trying to do a wrong thing, that is the goal, the the goal is to deceive. There's a lot of people, though, who, I heard a thing and I thought it was interesting, and now I'm telling you, uh, with, with no sense at all that this might be untrue, might be designed to cause a problem, you know, this kind of thing. So, I think in a sense, we're all... Swimming in that, and again, that's as true at the jailhouse as it is on Facebook. Oddly enough, um, the real question, of course, is what do we do about it? You know, it's it's unpleasant and it's kind of exhausting. But how do we actually navigate those challenges? And in a funny way, even though it feels like a very very modern problem, most of the solutions to it go back to things that are pretty ancient and, and pretty classic. So. The first thing that really, really matters is simply the idea that trust must be earned. That we shouldn't trust anyone just because. We shouldn't trust anyone like as a gift because trust isn't a gift. Love is a gift, but trust is earned. And so the question that we really want to train ourselves to be asking regularly is – has this person earned trust in my life? They're certainly trying to cash it in. I mean, they're trying to to get me on whatever they're on. They're trying to, to tell me information and have me believe it and buy it. But have they earned that kind of trust? And if we really want to drill down just a little bit further, that would be to ask, have they earned trust in this area? You know, I think one of the things that we struggle with a lot is we don't want to think of trust as a specific thing. We want to think of trust as a general thing. There's people I trust and people that I don't trust, but that's that's really not a good way to think about it. Um, your car mechanic, hopefully, is someone you can trust to give you good advice about how to deal with your car. You probably can't trust him to give you advice on how to lower your cholesterol because that's not his thing. He he just doesn't know anything about that. Uh, but so often, and especially around church stuff, around Christian stuff, we want to have just kind of a blanket of trust about everything. Um, You know, one of the things, we're we're doing a lot of teasing and whatnot, obviously, about megachurch stuff, but one of the things that can get a little out there with a lot of megachurches is, is Pastor is an expert on everything, apparently. Um, That uh, he he seems to have, you know, uh, insights that we must see and respect about Personal finances and physical fitness and sports and how to raise our children and everything.
0: Pastor, remove my appendix. It was quick, <laughs> clean. Good job.
2: And the thing is that's just that's weird. There's there's no one who's an expert on everything. There there's there's no one who's earned trust on every area. There, there's just there's no such thing as that. And so I think if we really want to navigate this well, we need to give ourselves permission to regularly, on an ongoing basis, ask the following question with no malice, no mean-spiritedness, but, but to ask it nonetheless, why should I believe what this person is telling me? On what basis should I believe and accept what this person is telling me? That's a really important question to get in the habit of asking. It's true online. It's also true in person. It's just true in life. And what we're really, really pointing to there is the idea of discernment, um, which is a Bible word that's really about being able to tell good situations from bad situations. We're not talking about judging people, because that's trying to label good people versus bad people, and that's not our job. But we actually are called to label good situations and bad situations. That's actually a a command for Christians. And really, the key starting point for good discernment, often anyway, is asking that question, why should I believe what this person is telling me? Why should I give weight to the advice or the input or the counsel or the information that this person is giving me? If we can get really good at that, we can become much more immune to a lot of misinformation, whether it's well-intentioned or not, and figure out how to do that without it making us uncomfortable or kind of messing with our relationships.
0: It's a great, great point. And Glenn, maybe uh, we can look at some practical aspects on this because I think one of the Key ways we can look at trustworthiness is is someone engaging in behavior that is almost uh, universal across people who are not trustworthy. Are they trying to? We were talking in the last episode about with uh, media trying to gin up fear and mm-hmm. uh, anger and all that stuff as a way that papers over a lot of pretty thin arguments. Well, that's that's
1: right. I mean, I think if you if we just start with news media, for example, you. If you sat down and watched however many hours of any kind of news media on any channel, and looked at how much of this is helping me to be a become a better citizen, and how much of this is some form of tragedy, those that those two different types of stories, Walter Cronkite was actually the one who coined that division. Of he said, it's it's either information helping you become a better citizen. Or uh, barn burnings, as he put it, you know, this idea of here is a barn, it is on fire, isn't that sad? It it is sad. It it, it might be worth knowing on some level, but it's not helping me become a better citizen. This is not important information. Uh, if you look at the way that information is presented, in many cases, it's designed. Uh, for selling advertising, now I know that can sound very cynical. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Um, about uh, well, let's say several years ago now, um, I was contacted by a news producer who's working one of the three major networks. I'm not going to mention which one. And th- this was a producer for the morning uh, shows. You know, had the the morning uh, little digest shows with the little uh, news segments on them. And uh, this producer was saying, we want a story on gang activity. And I said, well, I, you've called the right guy. I know about that stuff, and I can, I can help you with that. And they said, okay, here's what we want. Um, we will let you say anything that you want about gangs, anything. You can say anything you want about Jesus. You can preach a sermon. We don't care. What we need are are visuals of gang members that look like gang members, acting menacing. If we can find—like if they can literally just have like a pistol that they're holding or a gun of some kind, and if we could get those visuals, you could put—we'll just put voiceover over that. You could say anything you want about Jesus. Just it really doesn't matter to us at all. This is from one of the major networks on their morning show as a producer. And i said well i uh, I'm not going to do that, but out of curiosity, why on earth would this be a good idea and she said, Well, we our depart our our, our uh you know head of our department or what have you says that if we have more young viewers uh, well we can get more young viewers if we have interesting visuals like that, like they did a study for what brings in young viewers and guns and gang activity was one of those things. So that we're just looking for a story where we have visuals of that. It doesn't matter what the story is at all just that it has those visuals then we get the younger viewers and I said well why do we want younger viewers and she said well then we can sell advertising and have a younger audience it's a it's a better demographic. This I mean she's not lying about this. She's not papering over this. She's not whatever. She's saying, literally, you can do whatever you want as long as you give me a highly prejudicial view of the people that you're administering to and make them look terrible. As long as you do that, as long as you... What a deal! As long as you sell them out. you know. And, of course, I, I told her there's no possible way. And I actually spent some time talking with her about her life choices, as it turns out. Uh, but here's the thing is... I'm talking about a story, uh, talking about a situation that happened 20 years ago, and it's gotten way worse since then. Now, I want to take that and talk about influencers. I'm doing air quotes. Can you can you hear it in my voice? I can feel them. I'm doing it for the guys here in the studio with my my quotation fingers very exaggeratedly.
0: You also did them when you said studio. That's interesting.
1: <laughs> That's, <laughs> <laughs> right. But so you know, this is. Uh, these influencers are down from the news media. These are people with less uh, integrity, less of that trust that uh, Joe was talking about. Uh, so I think we need to start thinking more in terms of who do we respect. We ought to respect people who know what they're talking about in this area, as, as we were talking about previously about the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the mega church pastor that knows everything. There are people that when they say something about politics, even if it's something I disagree with, I listen to it because I respect them, and they know a lot about that stuff. If it's economics, I might disagree or it might sound wrong to me or something, but I say, well, you know, he knows more about that than I do, so I'm at least going to consider what he's talking about. Those kinds of things, I think, are more important. Let's look for who do we respect, and I think that's actually going to, Shrink down a lot of your online uh, uh, consumption of, of these things that are kind of throwing you off.
0: I think that's that's a great point. And again, we are trying to put a, this in a pretty broad context. So, you know, there's stuff coming across online, there's stuff you come across in just general advertising on TV, in prints, um, and the we threw in the question here even going to church because one of the things we do we try to make clear when we we're uh, doing discussing this, the bridge that we always try to reinforce in the show is no one is above scrutiny. No idea is above scrutiny and no one who is a trustworthy source should be that bothered by scrutiny. Um, uh, so there's a little bit of um, blind allegiance is not, we don't consider that a good thing on this show. We don't consider that a, a corollary to faith. There's a, there's, you know, there's God whose reasoning is heart far above our own. So we have to have some blind faith on that. There's people who are ahead of us in our walks who just know a lot of things we don't know yet, and if they tell you, it's gonna, it's probably gonna be like this. That's that's what expertise is: is someone who's seen so many permutations of this that they can know a thing you know. But someone that ties back into where Jed started us off this idea of there being such a thing as just an expert. Period. That happens in, in church stuff. It happens a lot in in media, as Glenn's saying. There's for some reason supposed to be uh such a thing as an expert in politics. And they're supposed to understand how international markets work, but also how uh military coups work, but also how uh you know backroom horse dealings and Congress work, and none of that's a thing. We I think we do have this thing that we can think of of this is a smart person. And smart people know things. Which we were looking at things through a lens of expertise that's really not how that works. They, people that might have different and disparate expertises and that's, that's, that's wonderful and fine. But this idea of this is just a person who I, I trust and I don't ever have to question is, is not good for us. And it's not, that's not how we build a deep trust about something. You know, uh, Jed mentions, you know, I go to my car mechanic and he says, it's it's this way, or that way. Maybe I think this guy's a great mechanic, but if you said something that, just, that just doesn't sound right. Maybe I just don't understand it. Let me take it to, let me take it to somebody else down the block and get, get a second opinion. Odds are the second opinion is going to fall in line. And I say, okay, well, yeah, another, another uh, check in the, in the column of Wally there really knows what he's doing. But now I know it's this idea of trust is just, I hear it and I say, well, that sounds fully crazy pants, but, uh, This guy's a blog I like, so I assume he knows the inner workings of the Colombian government. Why wouldn't he? That's really, that's some stuff we were talking about last episode of some of this stuff is people really want to sell you an entire narrative about yourself and about them and about the world and about the others and about the whole thing and facts and truth don't really work in that narrative sense of it always falls this way. It always falls that way. So uh, it's just some things to keep in mind there And as uh, we are often fans pointing out Feel free to double check us Because uh, we all do a lot of talking And uh, <laughs> you know occasionally Something slips through right there We've had people uh, you know Be it a sermon at the bridge Be it a real conversation Be it something we said on this podcast But I would say Wait did, when you said the the what Did you mean the what I go, oh no, no 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 Did not mean that Let's am back on that, <laughs> And that's always a good thing Alright move on to our Second question here, it comes in anonymously, and it says, I tried to set a boundary with my parents, and it went badly. Like, they don't want to talk to me and think I don't want to be their child anymore badly. Part of me feels like I should try reaching out to them, but I'm not sure how that would help the situation. Should I wait for them to reach out to me, and what should I expect going forward? And Glenn, we, we've had a, a couple of these influx, influx of questions here recently where we we talk a lot about boundaries on the show. We talk a lot about... um the importance of setting them in relationships. And it's we're we're thrilled that we have people doing that, putting that for putting that advice to work in their lives. And what we're what they're learning and we knew, but we weren't at that point yet is uh, the course of boundaries never did run smooth. Right. So we we normally have a fairly we talk about expect a little bit of pushback, you know, no one likes having a boundary phone. Yeah. Hopefully what's happened, our friend here is a bit of an extreme case of mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. we went one round of Hey, what if you didn't talk to me in a way that makes me feel bad? And so there's well, I guess you just wish we were dead.
2: Starting well, to. It's a, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's
0: a little bit strong, but I, I think as an ever extreme cases can be a good case study for the, for the rest of us can kind of learn from. So mm-hmm. wh- where would we go with something that went this not well? Well, I think
1: let's start with the perspective of someone mistreated me. How do I fix this situation? That's that's there's a little bit of off thinking here, you know. That's it's really on them to fix it because they're the one that messed up. So uh, I think it might be better for us to look at how do we respond and how do we deal with this. Let's start with understanding. I mean, I so it, the easiest thing in the world here is is to understand your hurt and your pain, uh, and it's real. And we're not going to take our eye off of that. We're just going to. It, take a a broader look at what the dynamic is. Uh, so I'm calling for understanding of them, but I'm not saying that that you deserve less and they deserve more if you follow what I'm saying. Uh, but let's start with understanding parents in and what they're dealing with, because I think what's what's perhaps hard for uh kids to understand until they have children of their own is that uh, for parents, their their kids are a big part of their identity. It's a big part of how they see themselves. Is if you looked at sort of the, the pie chart of the thought life of a lot of parents, it's 85% thoughts of the, uh, concerning their child, and the other 15% are child-related activities, you know, like, I, I need to keep this job so I can feed my child, or... I need to uh, fix the brakes in the car so we don't spin out of control and I kill the child. You know, so it's everything is uh, about the kids. Then one day they give you a jaunty salute and they walk out and then that's it. I'm, you know, your, your, your services are no longer required. That's a hard, hard transition there. And it's supposed to be one you're building towards over a series of years where you understand that one day this will come to an end. If you don't work that out in your mind, suddenly it feels like this thing that I've been working on and trying to get good at for all this time is suddenly just it's just no longer happening, and that's a that's a hard transition. It's a rude rude shock actually to some parents. and now it's like, no, thanks, I've got it from here when last week you were in diapers. In my own mind, I mean, for you, it seemed to take forever you to get to literally be an adult. your whole life, yeah. You know. But for, you know, for me, this was yesterday, and the the idea that you you just don't need any of my wisdom is I'm scared for you, and I'm freaked out by that, and what have you. But again, this is this is a mistake for a parent to think in this way. A parent parents are meant to transition their children into adulthood and to phase them into that and teaching them to think on their own make their own decisions take responsibility for their own choices uh so if it, it, that we have to understand that dynamic is taking place within uh th- these parents who are who made the wrong choice to not prepare themselves and now find themselves uh where they don't want any boundaries put on them but if you know that this is the goal their their goal is to be your the, be be in charge of your life to some extent, to be a read in on every decision, etc. If that's their plan, if that's their idea, and you are not in favor of that idea, and you've expressed that, then here's what needs to happen. They need to get another idea. So that's it. Or or you need to just relent and let them be mommy or daddy for the rest of your life and, and just you know, let them make all your important decisions for you whatever, as if that were healthy or what have you. If they're not going to change their, if they're, you know, dedicated to that and you're not on board with it, then they have to change their mindset on that. And that might take time. So I think uh, it's it's important to uh, recognize in the short term, we want to work on forgiveness because that's going to take some time that's going to be peeling some layers away. This is pretty foul behavior, and it's not cool. It's not okay. And uh, parents are not meant to, you know, uh, take uh, children uh, that are grown and adult and make them feel terrible and make them feel as though they're doing something irresponsible because they're making their own choices and those kinds of things. And, you know, boundaries are drawn over those kinds of things of, you know, I, I want to make my own decisions. I want to Marry who I want to marry. I want to take the job that I want to take, and I want to live in this part of town, and I want to do whatever I want to do. I'm I'm making decisions for myself. If we're laying down those boundaries and that's being pushed back, that's a that's a real fundamental violation of what you're supposed to be doing as a parent. Forgiveness is going to take some time, therefore, so we're going to start with that. We're going to start that process so that if they do come around, we're really ready. We're we're in a place where we've. Uh, we're able to to really reengage with them. We don't want that bitterness to still be there when, if and when they come around. So, short term forgiveness. The other short term thing: zero expectations. We don't expect anything good to happen out of the situation. If something does happen, that's great. great we'll just live with that uh, extra blessing. And again, that's why we're doing the forgiveness pieces because we're we're getting prepared in case something does come around to the positive very quickly. That's the short term. Long term, we're looking for or hoping for a relationship that's shallow but functional. You know, if if we can have that with parents that have a very dysfunctional view of what parenting is, then I think that's a a, a good compromise, a fair compromise. It's not everything you dreamed of. It's not everything that they apparently want, but it can be healthy, and it can be a way to keep tabs with one another and have some form of connection with them. But right now, in the short run, we don't have any expectation for anything, and it's not on you to figure out how to fix something that someone else has messed up.
0: That's a fantastic place to start with this. And Jed, one of the things Glenn mentioned several times there, and I think it's a very, very important point, is this concept of time. Um, when we set boundaries with people, when we're working on any kind of relationship, where there's some conflict there, time is going to be a big element. The problem with that is waiting for stuff sucks. Yes. So it, I think there's a very understandable temptation to try to circumvent that. And it can really kind of be, it can help us lose focus on what's going on with the boundaries. so see. I decided X behavior is not acceptable. So I told these people I will not put up with that, which is what setting a boundary is in its simplest term. But if we go a layer below that and think, well, I'm trying to, I'm not really trying to set a boundary about a behavior. What I want is a better relationship. Right. So I did the boundary thing and they freaked out. So now I have a worse relationship. Right. So shouldn't I immediately cave on the boundary that made them so angry so I can gain some, some ground towards happy relationship. Sure. And again, we, we laugh totally understandable yeah. uh, uh, impulse, but there does come a point where you got to remember what our goals for the boundary were, right? That's exactly right. That's
2: exactly right. We're really sorry for what you've been through. Um, and we're really sorry for the very understandable hurt and frustration and disappointment that you feel. And um, we can definitely resonate with the sense of, I feel like I just made everything worse and this was probably a huge mistake and maybe I should just repent and recant and um try and pretend this never happened. It all makes sense. You shouldn't do that, but the feeling we can we can track with. I think part of what we do need to do here in the spirit of these things take time is to pull the camera back for a second and review how we got here. Um, yes, we would like to have a better relationship in, in a big picture sense, and, and building better relationships always takes time. I mean, that, that's not a quick thing in, in any context. Um, but to ask ourselves, why did we set a boundary here? Uh, because I guarantee you, you did not do it on a whim or for no reason. Um, I'm going tell you a story, and then we're going to come back to your situation. So many years ago now, we had some folks that were volunteers with the bridge program. Uh, They lived in the suburbs and a husband and wife and had a house full of little kids and really sweet people, really cool. And um, one of the sets of in-laws were really deeply messed up people. Um, This is going to sound crazy extreme. It's also true. Uh, The the in-laws would use... uh, full octane racial slurs around the grandchildren, uh, with no hesitation and would actually use them to refer to the grandchildren. Um, this is a, a real thing they were doing. And so of course, um, this couple husband and wife set a boundary on that with, uh, these parents slash in-laws. And they did that because we, this is not an option. There, there is no scenario in which we can have you doing this around, towards or around these children. Uh, when they're not here, I mean, you do whatever you want. You shouldn't, but you know, but we absolutely cannot abide that. There, this is a non-starter. There, there and there's zero compromise here. It's not like, well, maybe we just use a little racial slurs. No, this none of this this is absolutely positively unacceptable and i think as you hear a story i mean you can get how that would be the correct view to land on there's there's no room in that for you know well maybe mom and dad have a point with their racial slurs it's just no this is this is wrong this is poisonous i cannot have this happening around or god uh, and certainly not towards my children so no full 100 percent no, that cannot happen. I hope desperately that this does not cost all of us this relationship. But if it has to, it has to. Because this is simply, this is not an option. That, that was the view they had. And I think we can all see how that would kind of have to be the view that they would have. Because this is such a crazy out there thing. Now, I want you to think about the reason why you set the boundary with your family. It's probably not on the surface quite as extreme as someone just constantly using a steady steady stream of racial slurs, because that's really out there. But here's the question I want you to think about. If your parents' problematic behavior went unchecked forever, how much damage would it cause? How much ruin would it create if they just got to do the crazy messed up thing that they want to do forever and ever, amen, with no problems? It's a thought experiment. I'd actually like you to think about that for a second. Because I think what you'll find is it would kind of cause huge, massive, galactic problems. I'll give you an example from a different couple. Um, A set of parents wanted to have say over the financial decisions that a couple made. It's a grown couple, uh, work their own jobs, make their own money but one set of parents wanted to be able to get in there and weigh in on and advise and really more or less approve the the financial decisions this couple made. That's not as immediately as extreme as a steady stream of, of racial slurs, but think it through for a second. Think how that would work. There's no possible way to make that work that there's no way to have a marriage and have a set of in-laws that basically want to weigh in on the finances of the couple. There again, it doesn't sound as extreme or crazy, but there's no way this can work well, it's been a hard week,
0: darling, should we go out for a nice dinner? Well, I'll call Father and
2: see what he thinks yeah. That's not a way to live. It, this, is, this is a non-starter. This is there, There's no possibility here. So for that couple, again, even though it doesn't seem as extreme as the weird racial slurs thing, it's like, we have to drop the hammer on this. We, we can't have this. This is not an option. I mean, we all hope it doesn't cost us the relationship, but if you make me choose... That's what it's going to be because this won't work. That's why we have to set a boundary. This isn't an option. Again, if you do that thought experiment and you think about why you set a boundary in this in this case with your parents, I have a bet you will find a similar trajectory where if we let this behavior go unchecked forever, it will cause problems I simply cannot abide. I simply cannot put up with it. That cannot be okay. Well, given that, Then the idea of, you know, maybe I should just abandon this whole boundaries thing. Maybe I should just, you know, try and and, apologize and pretend it didn't happen. That's really not an option because even though people got massively upset or are acting like they're massively upset, which may be a different thing, you actually began this process with kind of no option to begin with. There was behavior going on that was going to wreck your life. If left unaddressed, that's why we're addressing it. We really really hope that the offending parties decide to not go nuclear response on that, but we can't keep them from doing that. And if they basically say to you, "No, to have a relationship with me means I get to do whatever I want, no restrictions forever." Well, that's we can't have that. That's that's just not a possibility. If we get all of that in mind, that brings us back to all the stuff that Glenn is talking about, which is great stuff, which is, okay, well, how do we live now in the midst of this boned situation? How do we live in a situation where my parents are obviously trying to manipulate me, obviously not respecting my boundaries, obviously trying to insist they should be able to do whatever they want, no matter what, and that if I reject that in any way, that's tantamount to me saying I don't want to be their child how do we operate in, in given that that's where we find ourselves? How, how do we operate within that? And Glenn's already given you great advice on that. That's beginning the process, and again, it's a process takes a lot of time, but beginning the process of working through forgiveness, so that if and when they come to a place of being ready for something different, you're open to it, because no one could blame you for not being open to it today. Uh, what would the the recent misbehavior, um, that definitely includes kind of you know working through uh, just trying to figure out what all this was, which is going to take some time. You're going to have to peel away some layers. I want to add one more thing though, to the great stuff that you've already got from Glenn. And that is to learn the fine art of rejecting other people's drama. So your parents said to you, and I'm going to read back to your question. Um, uh, I don't, uh, they don't want to talk to me and, and, and they feel like I don't want to be their child anymore. Okay, so they said these things to you. Here's the first thing. Do they think those things? Or do they want you to think they think those things? That's not the same deal. In other words, are they overcome with hurt? And in this moment of being overcome with hurt, they're just simply speaking from the heart without a filter? Is that what's going on? This is possible. Or are they trying to manipulate you? That's also possible and much more likely. And one of the things that's going to feel probably unchristian, but man, is it an important skill to learn, is the art of saying no. Someone says, oh, I, I, I guess you just wish I was dead, don't you? No. Well, you just, I guess you just don't want to even be my child anymore. No. And not no to the question. Note all of this. No.
0: This is a blanket rejection of...
2: All this. All of this. The answer is no. No to all of this. Uh, I got to give a shout out. Hallie is uh, just a ninja at this. And there's incredible power saying, that's not what I said. Don't put words in my mouth. You know where I'm coming from. No on all of this. You say it cold. You say it slow. You say it simply. You de-escalate. You bring the drama down and you make it clear. I'm not giving you anything on this. Um, you're playing a game with me. Somewhere in it, are you legitimately hurt and whatnot coming for that? Yeah, but this is an attempt to manipulate me. This is an attempt to get your way by amping up the drama. And the answer to that is no. I'm not doing that dance with you. I love you. I care about you, but no. Um we've gone from one form of misbehavior I was telling is unacceptable, to now a blanket attempt to be manipulative and controlling. And the answer to that is also a very, very hard no. That's it. It doesn't feel Christian. But it's an essential skill, and this is actually a good time to learn it. How to get to that place where you just say no to the drama.
0: Absolutely right. I will. I will attack one thing on here that kind of goes back to that that time element, and it's similar to what what Jed's talking about here. Um, there was, a, I recall a conversation. This was years ago at this point, where I was having an interpersonal situation with someone that had set a boundary they had violated, and I was trying to I was trying to figure out. Uh, what what's the next step here? What's the what's the play as we would sometimes say here in Chicago? What's what's my next play here? So I'm in conversation with Jed, and he took a deep breath, stared at me across from a restaurant we no longer eat at because a combination of the health code and our advancing age will not allow it, and said, "I uh, I don't think there is a play here." Kind of. They said that, and that that's where it is. You you have to wait and see if they come around, and that's was entirely true. And boy, is that a hard bit of wisdom to swallow sometimes. You say, okay, what's the next move? What are we doing? What's the what? What's the thing I say? They say, uh, there, there's no, this is not a negotiation at this point. This is, they have broken ties over a very small thing. You kind of have to wait for them to be the one to come back in because this is, this is an asymmetrical bit of negotiation here. If you say, hey, I would love you to not treat me in a way that is awful. And they say, "Mm, that's pretty much the only way we're going to be in your life. So take it or leave it. If this was an actual, you know, if you'd gone to buy a car, let's say you were selling your car. And you said, you know, it's it's got some miles on it. Not in great shape. Let's call it five grand. And someone said, two dollars. Take it or leave it. You're not (laughs) negotiating. You're not saying, well, what if I say four, nine, ninety eight? And we just start moving towards the middle ground here. This is not a serious. This is not a serious offer from this person. This is them telling you to go stick it. And unfortunately, it's super hard with someone you love. It's super hard with your parents to hear. Right now, there's just nothing there. Um, and that's not us saying there won't be anything there forever. It's not saying that this kind of stuff doesn't play over. But uh, from experience, and it's experience everyone this podcast has, we want that to be a days, weeks thing. And much, much more often, it's a months, years thing of these. This is a these are people who need to do a certain amount of personal growth and real soul searching in and of themselves to get to a point where apparently where they can have a functional relationship. And as sad as that is for us as the person setting the boundary, uh, it also frees up a lot of energy and mental real estate to reinvest in things in our life that are going to pay dividends that could be. Uh, time-wise that could be relationally that could be in any number of ways we there's a way to think about this that once you get past the hurt which again we don't rush through that that's real of seeing a weird kind of freedom in this of i now have no part of my life that i feel necessitates bending to the whims of crazy people in the hopes that they will someday be less crazy and what can i do with that energy what what Positive places could I put that? What relationships could I build more into? Because I'm not uh, worried about uh you know spinning the uh spinning the roulette wheel with these people and seeing what comes out. There's a lot of good stuff on the other side of setting a boundary, even when it goes this badly. Uh, we really do believe that, but we don't want again want to rush you through or negate the the tough stuff that comes when things don't work out the way we hope they will. We we'll move on to our final question here. It came in and honestly and it says. I have so many things about me that I need to change, but I don't know where to start. I'm really embarrassed about some big things, but sometimes smaller things take me off my square a lot faster. So where do I start with all that? Also, if I can't fix everything at once, how do I, what do I do about the things I'm not working on at the moment? And Glenn, where would we start off? Well,
1: I think uh, you, you're, you're sort of uh, giving me a flurry of ideas here. All of these are interesting. So I want to kind of, uh, compartmentalize them a little bit. Uh, uh, so you're you're absolutely right the, that there are many things about you that need to change. That's true for everyone. So that's, uh, as long as you know that's true for everyone, then that's good. Um, you say so you don't know where to start and um, I think the, the right way to start is uh, with a recognition that if you fix one thing at a time, and you put all your focus on that one thing, you got a pretty good shot at, at at chiseling away at that. Yep. Uh and and maybe you need to take that from, you know, a, a problem that is at ten and take it down to about a three point seven. And then shift over to something else, and then come back and whittle that three point seven down to something else. So, so it, it's not the idea that it has to be totally eliminated necessarily. It, it might be a, a thing where you're kind of mixing and matching. But if you if you put your your whole focus on really doing everything you can on this one thing at the top of the list, you got a good shot at making major major progress. But what if you have let's say three things you're trying to work on simultaneously. Uh, you you know that you're you're splitting that effort into three and it's not going to go well on any of those three. So you're not likely to get a whole lot done. If you try and fix all these things simultaneously, you're not going to have any any progress. So that's thing number one. So th- there needs to be a list. It needs to be one at a time. Here's the thing about that. Most people, they pick... The thing at the top, you use the word big and embarrassing. That's what most people put at the top of the list. Uh, I want to know what you think is big. Is it like, for example, genocide? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, if
0: if you're doing a genocide, you should stop immediately.
1: Genocide's pretty big. Yeah. I'll give you that one. Okay,
0: Bold take. Yeah. If it's your own setup podcast.
1: If you're looking at naked pictures on the internet and you're calling that big we gotta, we got to work on where that's... It, show me the math on that one. I'm not sure I'm with you on that. Uh, embarrassing is that because um, uh, you have sort of portrayed yourself as the kind of person who would never do that, and now it kind of looks like maybe you are the person that would do that, and uh, you're failing to recognize everyone's doing that, and they're all lying about it exactly the same way you're lying about it. So maybe it's not big and it's not embarrassing. It's very small and super common. And the only problem we have here is a sense of pride about it. So, you know, you can come down off that pedestal and it, life will look real good from there. Uh, but we tend to take those big, embarrassing, I'm using finger quotes again, and you can't hear them. but the Audio ca- medium. The guys can see it. Uh, it's, they're, you they're, finger
2: quote very well, Glenn. Thank you, sir. It, it,
1: it's very large and expressive. Quite. You know? <laughs> so, you're taking the big and, and embarrassing things, and you're putting those big things that aren't big and embarrassing things that are only embarrassing because you, you know you you don't it 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 hurts your image or whatever. We're taking those and put them at the top of this list. We're going to deal with one thing at a time, and so we've got our list. The top of the list is the, quote, big and embarrassing things. Here's what happens with that. Those things uh, are, as we talked about in the last podcast, those things are a symptom of an underlying problem that you would decide is small and unembarrassing. So if you're looking at naked pictures on the Internet, that might have to do with feeling lonely. Loneliness isn't embarrassing, and nobody thinks loneliness is a big thing, quote-unquote. But it can be a real deep-seated source of anxiety and problem and struggle, and it manifests itself in one way of doing this one thing with the internet, but there may be a hundred different ways that's affecting your life negatively. So why is loneliness not at the top of the list, but looking at pictures on the internet somehow becomes the top of the list? My point in saying all this is, if you take, if you let God tell you what goes at the top of the list are things that need to change about your life, whatever He moves to the top of that list. I mean, part of your question here is, you know, I've got the the smaller things. I'm doing air quotes again. The smaller things, uh, uh you know, sometimes take me off my square as well. And maybe those things aren't small then. So there's that. Um. Uh, But, you know, uh, you're also asking, what do I do about the things that I'm not working on? So if you let God put the order of this list together, he's going to decide what goes at the top, right? If you deal with what's at the top, here's what's going to happen. It's going to allow you to slow down on almost everything else, because it's not triggering that. It's not setting it off and driving it. That's why it's at the top of the list. See, this is the beauty of this if we start let God order that, it creates this momentum that affects everything else on that list. It begins to shrink it, minimize it. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, in a very broad, indirect sense, you are working on all those other things. They are improving. They are lessening. Some of those will need more direct attention in the future, and when God brings that up as a priority, by all means, make that a priority and get after it. But I think it's about recognizing that God has a much deeper wisdom on on this, and if we do that, we can, we can know that our lives are going to be better and better. But I think the thing that we have to get, out, get, get our minds out of is being impressive to other Christians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the thing I'm not going to be able to help you uh, on in this podcast. I've been Christianing for a long time. None of them ever comes to me and says, Man, you just, man, whoa you christian well you really christian so good that doesn't happen yep. so we if we can get if we could sacrifice that we set that aside and we let god order this list all these things are going to take care of themselves
0: absolutely right and jed let's let's focus a little bit on that that second part of the question i think it's a very good one and a very very actually wise thing to ask about is that idea of, as Glenn's pointing out, and he's absolutely right. You really only have the the wherewithal to work on one thing. Focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. So these other things we're not focusing on, we know they're problems. Yeah. Um, I assume we're just letting those run wild.
2: Totally, absolutely, just as a free for all.
0: Yeah, it's got to have nice balance.
2: Yeah, anything you want, and yeah, you should just go nuts with it. No, you should not do that. Oh, that's bad advice. Well, here's the deal: is um. Uh, what i would suggest here's what i do in my life and uh if it doesn't work for you no worries but it, it does work for me is the stuff you're not working on you try to keep to a dull roar if that's not a phrase you're familiar with it means you try and keep it not completely spiraling out of control i'll give an example of what i mean so we work with guys behind bars and um you know, man, for a lot of fellows, when they accept the Lord in prison, they're very serious about it. I mean, they're very, very driven. They're very focused. They're very dedicated. And th- one of the struggles that almost universally they all feel a deep sense of guilt and shame about is cussing, is is using bad, salty, naughty words. And uh, don't get me wrong. Cussing not great. It's, it's, it's not like that's virtuous behavior. I agree, Jed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being so honest about my personal life. But if you, um, well, not to put too fine a point on it, but if you have been uh, remanded to the custody of the state, cussing may not be your biggest struggle. It's almost certainly not. So, and and our guys really struggle with that a lot. I mean, like a lot, a lot. It really weighs on them. Okay, but what do we do with it? Well, we have a few options. One would be to say, well, I'm going to try and work on cussing at the same time. Well, now we're getting back to the problem Glenn already pointed out, which is we're kind of, um, we're cheating the thing we really should be working on. So that's not great. You say, okay, well, I'm going to get cussing fixed first, and then I'll deal with the other stuff. Well, that's a very, very bad idea because we have other problems that are almost certainly going to cause a lot more damage. The third option is to do this, and this is what it means to keep it to a dull roar. I accept that I'm a person who cusses and who cusses more than is advisable. I'm going to try and not increase my level of cussing and keep it in a place where it's not causing huge problems in my life. So, for example, if I'm incarcerated, I'm not going to cuss at a corrections officer because that could cause me a lot of problems. I might cuss about them after they're out of earshot. That's not great, but it's less problematic. I think that doesn't count. I
1: think you're all right on that. (laughs) If a cuss falls in the woods... And and no one hears it. No one hears it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, when I get out of prison, I may cuss at the work site when I hit my hand with a hammer. I'm not going to cuss when I'm at church with grandma. Uh, I'm going to put some basic limits on it so it's not completely spiraling out of control, even as I'm recognizing I'm not trying to fix it right this minute.
0: Grandma swears enough for both of us.
2: Absolutely, but the funny thing is, this all links us back, actually, in in a a weird way to where Glenn started us. You know, we deal with um, people generally when things go wrong, and we deal a lot with Christians when things go wrong. And for Christians, I think, and I'll see if these gentlemen uh, think differently, but I think they're going to be on the same page with me. If I had to pick the two sins that cause the most damage most often for Christians, those two sins would be pride. Or arrogance—you can express it either way—but pride and cowardice; <laughs> those would be the two at the top of my list. Glenn, do you think differently?
1: No, not at all. And I—I love cowardice on that list because it—that—that that just uh, can slow so many things down.
2: Totally. You got pride. And you got cowardice. I mean, nine times out of ten, one of those or the combination was the thing that led to someone's major downfall. Absolutely. I can't tell you how rare it is that someone sits down with one of us and says, I struggle with pride and cowardice. Darn near never. I, we'll, we will, we will get that for people who are not church people. That will happen. We, you know, plenty of addicts will say, I have a pride problem that, that does not But for people that are kind of in Christian culture, basically never, but here's why I, I
0: think I'm pretty humble about how brave I am. Actually, <laughs> mm,
2: mm, it sounded humble. Here's why I bring it up and here's why it matters. The thing that undergirds everything Glenn is describing is humility, is the yeah. recognition I don't know best. I am not the fun. I am not the best arbiter of what is wrong with me and what is most critical. That's that's the thing that allows all of that to go. And so, two things on that. Uh, the first thing is if you're convinced that you do definitely know best as to what is wrong with you, might I suggest? One of your key problems right now is pride. But the other, the other side of humility uh, is, you know, you're submitting yourself to God's care. And so, you know, the thing is what we usually pick as the thing we really want to work on is the thing that most makes us feel bad about ourselves. Um, you know, we're embarrassed about it and we just, we just don't like it. And this is the thing. God gets that. A humble person is aware God gets that. God knows that this wears on me. He's not asking me to wait on that out of cruelty. He's not asking me to wait on that out of a lack of sensitivity. He's asking me to wait on that because he has something better for me. He has a better idea about how to fix all this. He has a better plan and a better approach on how to fix all this. And he's also aware that the thing that I feel really bad about today, and as Glenn said, that I feel embarrassed about today, a couple turns down the road I may see in a different light. I, I may understand that problem very differently. The way that I conceive of it today, it may actually be unsolvable. This is something I think a, a lot of people don't see is that you can conceive of a problem in a way that makes it not fixable. And so we have to do some work to change our conception of a problem to get it into a place where it can be addressed and we can do something about it. But what undergirds all that is humility, recognizing I don't know best, and God does. If we take humility and we take courage, which by the way are the opposites of pride and cowardice, if we put humility and courage together, we will find that we are journeying with the Lord and seeing amazing changes take place in our life in ways we never thought possible.
0: That is all fantastic stuff. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com, where you can scroll down into the episode description to find those links right there. And take out the song This Week, take out the little Lee Younger. This is a song here recorded for Bridgebox last year called Well Done. yeah okay, that, thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The
1: say that podcast.
3: Home of the laser cat photo booth worship experience. <laughs> <laughs> and when I take a step, I'm gonna say well done. And when I take one more, I'm gonna say well done. And when I get confused, ain't gonna say I'm done. No, when I take a step, I'm gonna stay well done. Cause you say well done. Well You say, well done, son I'm gonna hear you say, well done Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's a small one I'm gonna say, well done And maybe it ain't perfect but I'm gonna say well done Well, maybe it's a big old mess Ain't gonna cut and rot, no When I take a step I'm gonna say well done Cause you say well done Well done You say well done, son I'm gonna hear you say, it well, done. you've been faithful with a few things, so come sit down, time for celebrating. You gave a cup of cold water, time
2: for celebrating. Change the way that you think, time for celebrating. Faithful and good is how God describes you. Say he's so happy, you should feel that vibe too. Next up, y'all start doing big things, but you know your God is happy because of how you did the little
3: things. Well, You say, well done, son. I'm gonna hear you say, well done.